everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's episode is sponsored by IMTS. Rebuilding the supply chain starts now. IMTS is building a knowledge warehouse to rethink, re-engage, and re-establish manufacturing supply chain. The past few months have unveiled uh, underlying issues with the supply chain, and it's time to discuss these problems and how to move forward. Visit imts.com slash supply chain for more information. I am Benjamin Mose, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Evil Marker, the Manufacturing Technology Analyst. And Ben, we have a guest today. Awesome. Who do we have Russ, on? would you like to introduce yourself? We have Russ Waddell here. Hi. My <laughs> name's Russ Waddell. I'm the Managing Director for MT Connect and AMT. Thanks for doing half the intro there, Steve. I'm glad everyone's on here today. Uh, before we get into uh, the test bed and potentially articles, uh, I wanted to uh, bring up observation with my neighbor. So uh, I live, I live in your standard uh, plant community with the HOA, and uh, my neighbor installed a uh, automated sprinkler underground. You know, went full in. Uh, I still have my above ground hoses everywhere, time sprinklers, and I'm happy to say that his lawn looks like crap. Um, uh, I feel conflicted about it because I think, uh, you know, I think he put in some effort to thinking that automation or putting an automated sprinkler system would solve his problem. But uh, he forgot the uh, support that uh, the lawn also needs. You know, it's you still got to cut the grass regularly. You still got to feed it. You still got to do all these other things. And uh, I think that's one thing uh, I've taken away from you know, observing his uh, failure. Um, one is uh, um, automation is not just a solution. It's always uh, a support to an overall problem. And there's a bigger picture that needs to support a uh, full system. So uh, also, uh, the HOA won't be yelling at me because the lawn looks like crap. So they'll be going to him first. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to talk about that and bring that up. Let's see if we get into uh, some articles. So my, my question, Ben, yeah. is, you know, we, we you've record, uh, reported to us via the podcast on, you know, all of your struggles with home automation and how you overcame the challenges yeah. and, and you've documented your progress through optimizing it. Are you going to share with him, your neighbor, the, uh, what he can do to make it better? Are you going to try to help him at all? Oh, or are you man. just like going to go over to his house and be like, Hey, you need to cut your grass. <laughs> <laughs> and go uh, I, I might. I might give some a few pointers or uh, put a lawn sign for uh, like a service he can probably go to. I feel like he's not putting any effort. In, he doesn't want to put effort into the lawn. He's. Uh, I think I'll refer to him like to some Scott's lawn or service or something like that. Slide some business cards. Slide some business door. cards. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. I mean, I'm still keeping my distance too because I don't want to talk to people still during the pandemic. That's my excuse right now. Once the pandemic's yeah. gone, I got no excuse. <laughs> right. So, Steve, uh, what do we got going on the test bed? Why don't you walk us so through? We, we don't have much, but there is something to hopefully celebrate about. Um, this week, I was, uh, you know, thinking over, you know, what's going to, what's next on the test bed. And uh, I remembered, wait, we got this relatively new to us collaborative robot freshly bolted down on the test bed and functional. Um but we're still waiting on, it's been two years now, and we're still waiting on the end of arm tooling to show up, the gripper. Right. So I reached out to you, Factory, because um, the last I heard from them, they were like, hey, man, the pandemic is crazy over here. Uh, we're looking to get it to you around March. And then I realized, wow, March was a long time ago. <laughs> Let's reach out to them and find out where this gripper is. So uh, middle of the night last night, 
send an email to Zoe, who's my primary contact there. And she's like, oh, snap. <laughs> we'll get you the Griffin by next week. Wow. And I was like, send me a tracking number. It didn't happen. Yep. But uh, that's, we've that's, got one on the way finally. That's promising. That's good. I'm glad to hear that they're in a state where they can uh, move forward also. Yeah. Didn't hear any, uh, you know, sob stories, no complaints, you know, just next week. Good. Good. And uh, hopefully we'll be transitioning back to the office uh, on a regular basis some in the next couple of weeks, months, so we can get projects up and running also. Yeah. So also with um, the test bed, since we have Russ here, who is the, uh, he introduced himself earlier. I don't want to do it again. Uh, <laughs> right. But anyway, we, we have, uh, we, we, Part of the test bed is, you know, proof of concept for MT Connect. You know, we run MT Connect on our devices and whatnot. Um, I remember, you know, my first year here at AMT, um, I put an MT Connect simulator on a Raspberry Pi with the help of Russ um, and uh, the MT Connect user portal. So mtcup.org, I believe. Um, and you know, now we don't really have the need for an MT Connect simulator anymore um, because we have actual manufacturing devices on our test bed, like the Pocket NC and like the XARM. And Sharab has gotten both of those devices uh, up and running with MT Connect adapters and agents. Um, so, my question to Russ is what did it take to get MT Connect on? the testbed machines like the Pocket NC and XARM? It took an afternoon of <laughs> copying and pasting code and watching it uh, slowly go onto the, the sort of entry level computing that powers the, the, the devices that we have. So the, the Pocket NC and the XARM are both run off of, you know, relatively lightweight computing platforms. So, Right. Um, to actually install MT Connect, you need a couple of components. You have to have an adapter, which takes whatever the native terms that the controller uses and puts those into the MT Connect dictionary. So for the Pocket NC, that thing runs on uh, Machine Kit, which it itself is a derivation of Linux CNC. So Linux CNC has this nice public-facing Python API where it'll tell you what every single uh, data item in, in the Linux CNC software is, and you basically have to write a little translation table to go from what it is in Linux CNC versus what it is in MT Connect. So that's terms like um, spindle on, emergency stop, armed. That's There's a very specific way that you would write that out in MT Connect, and that's not the way that any controller is going to spit out that same information off the shelf. So you have to write that adapter. So mm -hmm. uh, engineer extraordinaire Sharb Singh wrote the, um, wrote the pocket NC adapter, uh, installed that directly on the, the BeagleBone Black, which is the control board for the, the pocket NC. And then the second piece you have to install is the MT Connect agent, mm -hmm. which essentially serves up the data. So it, it aggregates the data into a sort of human or machine queryable um, format. And then you can kind of get to that data from another application or you can get to it as a, as a person. So that piece is free open source software. We didn't have to write anything for that. Just install it and configure it. And the, the BeagleBone that's, that runs the pocket NC is, doesn't have enough compute resources to run the adapter and the machine and the agent all at once. So we stuck that 
uh, external to the pocket and see onto a Raspberry Pi mm-hmm. sitting next to the machine connected via Ethernet. Awesome. Because that was my next question. Like, what was the purpose of the Raspberry Pi stack now? Because we we don't just have one Raspberry Pi stack or one Raspberry Pi. Now we have four Raspberry Pis stacked on top of each other. But before I even get into like the rest of them, like how does that work with the XARM? I do remember when um, Russ, I mean, when Charab was setting up uh, MT Connect on the Pocket NC, um, that first time he did it, you know, it, it took a week or two, and he said, um, or he found and reported to us that the Pocket NC was most similar to a particular Mazak machine. And he started with, if I remember correctly, he started with the um, MT Connect agent that was for that particular Mazak machine and just adapted it, adapted the the terms and definitions uh, from that Mazek machine to the pocket NC, is that correct? Uh, you're mixing up the agent and the adapter. So oh, the sure. agent is the HTTP server that aggregates the data and puts it on a, um, you know, someplace that a machine can get to it. The adapter is the translation piece. So I, I think he may have referred back to an MT Connect adapter from Mazek. The nice thing about the Mazak adapter is that they they have a public data stream that you can access. So he can actually just like the Linux API. Um, he can see MT Connect data off of a Mazak machine. I don't think there's any open source or free adapters directly, um, mm-hmm. but you can see the output from an adapter. So it's basically just this kind of cascade of examples to follow. So uh, Mazak did one, they publicized data from it on a Mazak.com website. And then um, looking at that and seeing how do I want my adapter to behave. I, I would say that the similarities kind of stop with the adapter itself. I, I don't think sure. that's similar to a full-blown commercial piece of equipment. Um, and like I said, that, that one took like uh, a week or two. Um, once Sharab got the, uh, got MT connect running on the pocket NC, it was seemingly, only took like you said an afternoon to get it up and running on the X arm. Did he do something similar to get it running with the X arm? Um, so a couple things happened. First of all, the the long the long time to install on the Pocket NC had more to do with the IT uh, requirements than it did with the actual adapter. So we were kind of going back and forth about static versus dynamic IP addresses that were set sure. by the, the firewall that's installed. So basically the test bed itself is on its own network. Uh, it has four Raspberry Pis, like you said, it has a pocket NC, it has a sonic wall, I think, uh, firewall um, that works as the network switch and also security um, hub for all that stuff. So the hard part was matching up the network requirements of the network as it was configured with the requirements of the MT Connect agent and adapter with the networking configuration of the Pocket NC. So getting all those things to play nicely together required back and forth with the IT department and on a pretty regular basis. So that was the holdup. It wasn't so much mm-hmm. the actually actual development of the adapter or the installation. A lot of it was configuration and IT overhead. What was your other question? I think I forgot one there. Oh, just just what what was it, was how was that similar to um, set up on the X arm, and what was different? Better said. 
Right. So the the purpose of installing MT Connect on the test bed is to sort of emulate real world um, real world implementations and real world installs, see what problems there are and see how those problems can be addressed with stuff that's tweaks to the MT Connect standard or guides and, and references to best practices. So if the parallel with the pocket and see here, you know, I talked about sticking the agent on a Raspberry Pi instead of on the controller. That's pretty much analogous to having an older CNC or a manual machine that doesn't have a controller on it at all and having to use some supplemental hardware to get the MT Connect components. So the, the whole, the layout of the system architecture where you have pocket NC machine, adapter on machine and agent on external computing device connected uh, over ethernet, that architecture is specific to what you're trying to do for basically ease of connecting the stuff and getting some data spitting out. And that's exactly the same process you'd go through on a factory. If you have a, you're, you're standing there looking at a machine, you want some MT Connect data out of it. What do you have to do? Figure out where you got an adapter, where you're going to install the adapter, where you're going to install the agent. Uh, you know, how are you going to connect to the agent and what's the networks actually look like? So it's the same thing that we're doing. Uh, and with the robot, it was essentially easier because we had better access to information on the, the robot. So the robot manufacturer actually supplied its own API and adapting the, or adjusting the adapter from the last one that Sharp had done was quicker because we had a whole set of APIs already supplied by the robot builder. And we basically just did the same thing we did the first time, but we didn't have to do as much work to find out what the, the native terms were. And I think the architecture for the robot is a little bit different. So we're not running any of the pieces directly on the robot, we're running the adapter and the agent separate. So that's one of the reasons we've got more Raspberry Pis than just the, the one that connected to the pocket MC. Awesome, so that answers my question about the Raspberry Pi stack. Um, well, you can't, you can't forget that at least one of those is playing, it's basically just full-time Minecraft. <laughs> Fair enough. That explains it. Yeah, so a while back, and I reported this on the, the podcast, um, I want to say a couple months ago. While back, um, Sharb and I actually went into the office amidst the pandemic, and um, we recorded some some programs that we ran on both the Pocket NC and the XArm, and um, we recorded them so they could be looped and then streamed externally. Russ, what was the purpose of uh, this project, and how can people like our listeners access that uh, data stream? So we're basically just trying to display for testing and development purposes what data coming off MT Connect or off an MT Connect agent would actually look like. So you can go to agent.mtconnect.org and that'll give you access to a couple of machines that are running in a machine shop at the National Institute for Standards and Technology in Gaithersburg. But we're trying to basically emulate and, and copy what works about their system to get another source of data. So rather than just a single machine shop with a single approach to how they've configured it, we want a slightly different configuration uh, for developers who want to create applications on MT Connect data. So showing reporting or analytics or trying to you know, simulate an operation or verify um, a CNC program or something like that. We want the developers to have access and we also want examples for machine builders or device um, builders to kind of show you this is what it should look like when you're done. And then finally, for customers who are basically, again, sitting in their shop, staring at a machine saying, hey, I think I might want some empty connect data, give them some idea of what that would actually look like 
when it's working correctly so that they're not just sort of fumbling around in the dark. They get some numbers and, and data coming up on the screen and say, well, I've got data, so this must be right. Just, it's basically just to give an example uh, for those three categories, the, the end user, the software developer, and the equipment builder. So did you say um, people can actually see our data stream and NIST's data stream off of uh, the NIST website? This data stream is public now. Um, that's it. You can actually, you can get there at agent.mtconnect.org. Uh, there's also a live stream from uh, Mazak Corporation in Kentucky, here in the States. I think that's mtconnect.mazakcorp.com. And that's a couple machines in their showroom, I believe. And, and our, our stream is not live at the moment. Gotcha. Uh, you can get to a demo application at demo.mtconnect.org, uh, which currently defaults to those NIST machines. Once we have our stream up and running, it'll default to the NIST machines as well as the, uh, the AMT machines. And you can also stick in um, to see data off of whatever other machine you want. So if you have, if you already have a connection, you want to debug it, or if you have, um, you want to demonstrate MT Connect to somebody, you can use that web demo. Basically plug in an IP address of a, a device that's on the same network and it'll display a nice tidy table of, of data for each of the devices on the, the agent at that IP address. Awesome, sweet. So we will have a stream someday. <laughs> I mean, someday is soon. It's it's right around the corner and the spot to look is demo.mtconnect.org. It'll be up there as the... Um, as the default device reference um, here in the next week or two, I think. Awesome. And we'll add awesome. the links in the show notes also. Okay. Um, and my last question for you, Russ, um, what are your future plans with the, uh, the test bed with respect to MT connect? What would, what would, uh, what other, what would your next devices that you'd like to see on our test bed be? Uh, you know, I don't necessarily need to see a lot more devices. Although if I had to pick something, it would definitely be some sort of inspection equipment. I don't, I don't care if it's digital calipers or a little, um, like a, a CMM, uh, one of the, the sort of ruggedized ones that's small yeah. desktop sits next to the machine, that kind of thing, or a, a 3d scanner or something like that. Just any of those, anything that, that covers the quality piece, because we've already got uh, material handling and machining and the last piece of, of filling out, basically like a closed loop process conceptually is it doesn't have that inspection piece included gotcha. for us though. I mean, it's all going to be, it's all a proof of concept. So any, any material that we publish as a research paper or any findings that we push back to the MT connect standard through the, through the MT connect standards committee and actually put into the standard itself, any of that stuff, uh, the test bed will serve as a, a small scale initial demonstration and, hopefully stoke interest in doing the same thing at a larger scale in a university setting or in a, or in a commercial or industrial setting. Awesome. Well, thanks Russ. That was uh, that was really helpful. Yeah. You're welcome. I'm excited to see, uh, hopefully we get some quality equipment and also been looking around to get something within our budget. The struggle's oh been God. real. Metrology is so expensive. <laughs> yeah. We may There's have still to... a lot of unturned ground. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we can, that we can publicize in terms of, how the pieces interact with each other. And yeah. just on the software side, we can talk about security. We can talk about simulation versus real equipment. We can talk about kind of toggling between simulation and mm -hmm. real stuff. We can talk about, you know, kinematics and can you actually show a simulation of what we're doing? Can you, mo you know, model the entire thing in CAD and put a live simulation using MT Connect data? So, you know, if, 
if the cost is too much, look to software at this point. Yeah, right. definitely. That's a good call. Well, we are in the middle of, uh, we've made actually great headway in uh, uh, modeling the entire test bed as a whole. Um, but you've really piqued my interest on uh, the digital calipers. Like we've got a sweet pair of, uh, of Mitutoyo digital calipers that are actually solar powered and whatnot, all the bells and whistles. wonder if we could uh, get MT Connect on that somehow. But anyway. Awesome. Uh, I've got an article or two to talk about as we uh, start winding down here. So I've got an article on uh, this uh, advanced vision for the uh, future of safety robots from uh, uh, the robot report. It talks about okay. uh, existing collaborative robot safety and the potential futures using vision systems for uh, safety on uh, robotic systems, mainly robotic arms. Uh, so the article covers um, current safety standards for collaborative robots and, it, um, and industrial robots. Uh, the main mechanisms it talks about for current collaborative robots are uh, monitored stop, um, hand guidance, you know, power and limiting and force limiting, speed and separation monitoring, uh, and the standard they refer to is ISO TS-15066. Nice. Um, and the article shifts to vision systems for safety. And I thought that was a pretty fascinating look at uh, basically putting a camera on uh, uh, a robot that's traditionally not considered uh, safe, but using the vision system to enable it. And there's three uh, key areas, I think, that uh, are valuable from the report um, that the vision system kind of classifies different areas in the in the in the cell that the robot can move into. So it has empty space, occupied or unknown. And based on those three classifications, the robot is allowed to move or not move uh, based on that space. I thought it was a pretty fascinating look at uh, the potential next step and future iterations of how uh, robots are integrated uh, safely into factories. Yeah. Um, I actually have a, uh, a cool article. Um, so as, as you know, Ben, you and I are gamers. Um, and so of course we, people like us have heard that, uh, the PlayStation five will be re uh, released later this year, like holiday 2020. Yep. Um, so Son Sony's done something really cool and it's not related to announcing anything new for the ps5 like it's ray tracing capabilities or whatever sure but they've actually opened their doors so their super secret facility that currently produces the ps4 and this is something wild because you know this is like sony's primary uh, uh source of income is selling the ps4 um at least they claim that i'm not <laughs> sure how true that is but um you know, they've never, this is like a super secret facility. They've never let people in. And this article, uh, the author was actually allowed to go backstage with Sony into their PlayStation 4 factory. And it's wild. I don't know if you remember that like scene from the first Terminator where, uh, <laughs> that's towards the end of the movie where they're running through like this, this huge factory, but it looks like that there is, it looks like there's not a lot of place to step because you sure. know, it, it it looks fully automated. You know, there's not a lot of human interaction in this place. And it also gets pretty deep into the design of the, uh, you know, the PS4 on how every component inside that little black case is, has a purpose. Sure. There's, there's no waste. It's a totally lean product. Um, That's and it's, cool. it's just wild though. The, like, I, I would expect to see like, you know, 
three to seven robot arms working on like a car going through an assembly line. But there's one scene that has like three robot arms reaching towards one PS4 Uh, as it's going through the assembly line. It's wild because they're pretty big robots in this one picture. And, you know, the PlayStation 4 is pretty small. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a fascinating look. You know, uh, consumer electronics at that kind of scale is a fascinating look. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Steam released a controller for their system. They talked about their automated cell uh, and the manufacturing process. And one of the interesting things that they talked about was the flexibility of their uh, end-of-arm tooling for their automation equipment, Uh, being able to switch over um, production lines to different designs and their ability to change over. uh, was a fascinating look. Yeah. I also really like... um they one of the pictures that they have is just this massive bin of flat ribbon cables mm-hmm. all of the exact same flat ribbon cable and it's just like that's how much they're going through yeah in yeah absolutely like a day yeah. of manufacturing yep but anyway yeah i i do like seeing uh final assembly uh um manufacturing so i was um at uh spirit air systems where they did final assembly for like Boeing aircrafts and it's in these massive uh, equipment. I mean, the inventory room, inventory uh, stuff that they're bringing from suppliers is uh, amazing to watch and how they manage. So the whole ecosystem of final assembly is uh, underrated. It's, it's great to watch. Um, awesome. Thanks. for This is a really great episode. I'm glad we covered uh, everything on the test bed. Got a couple articles in. Um, it's a wrap I'm up. I'm glad Russ could join us. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today, Russ. You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, today's episode was sponsored by IMTS. Uh, check out uh, imts.com supply chain for more information about rebuilding supply chain. Uh, I, check, I recommend the interview with uh, Roy Gentry from Mazak in an article on rebuilding supply chain. How did we get there? Steve, where can they find more info about us? You can sign up for the weekly tech report um, at amtnews.org slash subscribe. And you can find more from me at the Amateur Machinist blog at swarthysteve.blogspot.net. And lastly, you can find more of us and our podcast by searching AMT Check Trends on your favorite podcast app. Awesome. That was great. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.